So as I say, uh, we're going to be starting a little mini-series looking at these words of the angel to the shepherds, words which we've all heard uh, many times before, at least once a year, if not more. Uh, But I want to look at them uh, to hopefully help us all see why we can rejoice at Christmas, uh, why Christmas is good news. And this morning I would like to look uh, just at the uh, few words of the angel where the angel says, for there is born to you this day in the city of David. The angel proclaimed to the shepherds, the shepherds that they could rejoice because a baby had been born to them that night or that day. Now, the birth of a baby is a happy thing, isn't it? Um, We all rejoice when a new baby has been born. But let's be honest, it's something which literally happens every single day, uh, multiple times every single day across the world. Why is there, or why was there, so much commotion about this baby? Uh, There's joy at the birth of almost every baby, but we're not still celebrating it 2,000 years on. And yet this birth, we still sing about, we have a whole time of the year dedicated to it. Why was the birth of this baby such good news that angels had to proclaim it. Why is it good news? And to help answer that question, I'm going to turn to a very strange verse of the Bible. It's one of those verses in the Bible which leaves scholars and commentators and preachers scratching their head about exactly what it means. But it will help us to understand why the birth of this baby was so important. And it's first in 1 Timothy, uh, chapter 2, Paul's letter, uh, first letter to Timothy, and chapter 2, and verse 15. And in this verse, the Apostle Paul writes, Nevertheless, she, that's women, will be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness, and self-control. Strange verse, isn't it? Paul says women will be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with self-control. And at first blush, that verse sounds like Paul is saying that if you're a woman and you want to get saved, you need to be good and bear children. That's what that verse initially first seems to be saying. But that's problematic. It's problematic not least because if you're a woman and you have not born children or you cannot bear children, that doesn't seem too good for you. Uh, But it's also a problem because that would seem to contradict almost everything Paul ever wrote. Uh, Not least what he wrote in the previous chapter when he said, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Paul didn't teach that the way we get saved is by being good and having children. 
Paul said the way we get saved is by trusting in Christ who came to save people who weren't good, sinners. So what does Paul mean here? What is Paul talking about when he says women will be saved in childbearing? Well, to find the answer, we need to go back to the beginning of the Bible. Remember, Paul was a Jew, and he knew the scriptures, the Old Testament, very well indeed. And we need to go back right to the beginning of the Bible, to the book of Genesis and chapter 3. Now, you'll remember how God made the world perfect. Uh, There was nothing wrong with it, Uh, but he gave the first humans, Adam and Eve, a commandment. He said, do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, because in the day you eat of it, you will surely die. We all know what happened. Uh, Eve was deceived by the serpents. She ate of the fruit, and she gave to her husband, Adam, and he ate as well. And sin and devastation came into the world as a result. But after they've eaten, they feel guilt, they feel ashamed, and they hide from God. And to cut a long story short, God brings the man and the woman to him, and he tells them his sentence. He tells them what the consequence will be of their sin. But he starts by talking to the serpent, the serpent who deceived Eve. And this is what he said to the serpent. He said, because you have done this, You are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. God tells the serpent who deceived Eve, that although he would bruise the heel of one of the woman's descendants, one of Eve's descendants would crush his head. In other words, God's saying that although through her deception, through his deception of Eve, sin and devastation has come into the world, God would use that woman, he would use Eve to bring someone into the world who would be the saviour of it, who would undo everything, all the devastation that has been caused by that sin through giving in to the deception of the serpent. God would rectify the damage caused through the child that this woman would bear. And you might be aware that this is something of a theme in the Bible. Uh, the theme of humble women giving birth to saviour sons. It's all across the Bible. Uh, you'll remember perhaps Zipporah in the book of Exodus, how she gave birth to Moses, an Israelite woman who gave birth to Moses, who, humanly speaking, rescued the Israelites out of Egypt of course, under the hand of God. Or you remember Hannah, uh, humble Hannah, who uh, was barren for much of her life, but then God gave her a son, Samuel, who judged Israel and saved Israel, again, under God in many different ways. And you could say, really, that's the story of the Old Testament. 
the whole first half of the Bible, and you could say the second half as well, is all to do with this saviour who is coming. This saviour promised back in Genesis chapter 3, who is coming, and almost every generation you have this sort of expectation, maybe this is the one. Uh, maybe this baby that's been born will be the one to save us. You even get a hint of that uh, in Genesis chapter 4. Uh, in Genesis chapter 4, Eve gives birth to her first son, Cain. And uh, look what it says in Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. It says, Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. And the sense of that verse is that perhaps Eve thought that this child she had born, remember the first one she'd ever born, the first baby ever to have been born in the usual way, and Eve thought perhaps this is the one, perhaps this is the saviour, perhaps this is the Messiah God promised. Sadly, he wasn't. We all know what Cain was. Cain was the first murderer. He murdered his own brother. But after Cain, you have this expectation and this thought that maybe the next son, the next son to be born, will be the one to undo the damage that Adam and Eve created. And as time goes on, uh, God narrows down the possibilities for who this child will be. Uh, you remember how he chose Abraham from all nations of the world. And he told Abraham that in him shall all nations of the world be blessed. Abraham's family would give birth to the Messiah. So we have the seed of the woman. We have the seed of Abraham. It gets more specific. Isaac and Jacob are chosen. It gets more specific again. Uh, and of course, you remember that Sarah gave birth to Isaac miraculously. Rebecca gave birth to Jacob. And we see this theme going on throughout the Bible of these children being born and God saying the day's coming, the Messiah's coming, the Savior is coming. Uh, God said the child would come through Judah, uh, Jacob and Leah's son. Uh, remember the book of Ruth, and Ruth marries uh, Boaz, and Boaz gives birth to Obed, and Obed is the, I think, the great-grandfather of King David. And God tells King David that one of your descendants will sit on the thro your throne forever and ever. The seed of the woman would come through David. And it's interesting uh, that in the Old Testament, nearly every king of Judah, who were the descendants of David, each one of them have their mother mentioned. And the reason surely must be because of this promise that the Savior would come through the seed of the woman. And if you go to the book of Matthew, what you come up with first is a genealogy. If you look at the book of Luke, you have a genealogy in chapter 3. And again, it's all pointing back to this promise that a saviour is coming through the seed of the woman until eventually, at long last, an angel appears to Mary in Luke's Gospel, chapter 1, verses 30 to 33. And the angel says to Mary, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favour with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest. 
And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Can you see now why Mary was so astonished? She was astonished, of course, because she was a virgin, which made this very troubling in itself. But God was saying to Mary, you are the one. You are the woman who I've chosen who will bear the saviour of the world. You remember the old man, Simeon, in the temple, when Mary and Joseph took Jesus to be dedicated in the temple. And Simeon had been promised by God that he would not die until he saw the saviour God had promised. And God pray, and Simeon prays when he sees the baby Jesus. And he says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. Simeon is rejoicing that God has finally fulfilled his promise that has been 3,000, 4,000 years in the making. That is the first reason which we're going to be looking at over the next few weeks, why we should be happy at Christmas. Because Christmas proves that God keeps his promises. The reason those angels said to the shepherds, rejoice because there has been born to you a saviour, is because God has kept the promise, which at many times in Israel's history, they wondered whether he was going to keep that promise. Uh, Israel went through many trials and tribulations, wondering when this saviour would come. But now he had come. The saviour promised long ago, the ruler promised long ago, has come. I don't know if you've realised, but we're often looking for someone to save us, aren't we? Um, Perhaps politically, it comes to an election, and some figure comes on the scene, and perhaps despite ourselves, we think maybe it'll be different this time. <laughs> maybe this person, this politician or this leader, will make things better. Uh, perhaps they're the one who will solve all the problems that we have in our society. And if we're not careful, we can set our hopes on some political figure to be the one who will make everything better. Uh, Perhaps in more mundane ways as well. Uh, Perhaps you support a football team and perhaps your football team has not been doing too well and you get a new manager and you think, maybe this is it. Perhaps for England. Uh, New manager, that's what we need to win the World Cup, to win the next uh, European Championships. We think perhaps this time it will be different. Uh, Perhaps it's not uh, a manager. Perhaps it could be uh, a new teacher at school, uh, a new boss at work. Uh, perhaps even a new therapist or a new doctor. And we think, this one, this one will be different. This one will give us the solution that we've been desperately wanting. And of course, so often our hopes are raised, and so often they are disappointed. Uh, Because all these people we put our hope in are just men. They're just women. But when we put our hope in Christ, we're not just putting our hope in a mere man. We're putting our hope 
in God himself. Because Christ is Emmanuel, God with us. And he didn't come to just solve our social problems, our health problems, our financial problems. Christ came to solve a much deeper, bigger problem, a more central problem, that problem which Adam and Eve brought into the world at the beginning. He came to solve the problem of our sin. And if that problem is solved, then all these other problems pale into, if not quite insignificance, certainly into less significance. That's why the birth of this baby is such good news, because this baby will solve our biggest problem. And the wonderful thing is that God uses or used sinful people in order to do it. Mary was a sinner. Mary was not perfect. It's funny, when she sings her song, her famous Magnificat in Luke's Gospel, chapter 1, she herself says, I rejoice in God, my Saviour. Mary needed a Saviour too. And yet God was able to use a sinner like Mary to bring in the Saviour of the world. It reminds me uh, of a story of a painting by uh, Edwin Landseer. I don't know if you know Edwin Landseer. He was a, I think he was Scottish, actually. I think he was a Scottish painter in the last century, uh, perhaps the 19th century, not sure. Um, and I used to study him in my um, A-levels when I was doing my A-levels art. And he was once apparently eating at a little inn in Scotland uh, when a fisherman, for some reason, was uh, gesticulating wildly, and he accidentally knocked... Uh, a teacup out of a waitress's hand and it splashed the tea uh, against the newly whitewashed wall and it created a dark stain on that wall. And the man was hugely embarrassed and he apologised profusely to the hostess of the inn. But Lancer, who was watching on from the next table, asked if he could make something of this stain. And using India ink, he made a magnificent, not painting, a magnificent drawing, I guess, of a royal stag on the wall of this inn. And that stain became the centerpiece of a beautiful masterpiece. And that's what Edwin Landseer did with a stain. But in a much more wonderful way, That's what God does with us. I don't know how you're feeling this morning. Uh, Perhaps you're feeling anxious or perhaps you're feeling ashamed or even guilty. Perhaps there are things on your conscience which trouble you. Uh, Perhaps you're very conscious that you are a sinner this morning. I don't know what you've done. I don't know what things you keep hidden in the recesses of your mind things you wouldn't want anyone else to know. But the reason you can rejoice this morning, regardless of what you've done, is that God specializes in using wickedness and turning it into good. God is able to use even the sin of Adam and Eve and turn it into something wonderful and bring about the saviour of 
the world. Uh, I mentioned that genealogy in Matthew's Gospel uh, a few moments ago. And did you know in that uh, genealogy, which is kind of difficult to read, uh, lots and lots of names, but there are a few gems in that genealogy. Because only five women are mentioned. Uh, All the names are men, except for five women. And all those women have something in common. The first woman mentioned is Tamar. Uh, Tamar was a Canaanite. That was part of the nation which were the enemies of Israel. And Tamar pretended to be a prostitute. And she deceived uh, her uh, father-in-law and slept with him. It's one of those sordid stories in the Old Testament. Uh, Another name mentioned is uh, Rahab. Rahab was also a Canaanite. And she was a prostitute. Uh, You can read that in the book of Joshua. Uh, You have also mentioned Ruth. Ruth was a Moabite. Uh, She was, again, a member of the people who were the enemies of God's people. There's Bathsheba. She wasn't. She was a Jew, but she was an adulteress. She slept with David, who was not her husband. And we have, of course, Mary, who is also mentioned. And what all those women have in common is that they were sinners, They're not people you would have expected God to choose to bring his saviour into the world. And yet all five of them are in the genealogy of Christ. God took humble, sinful people and brought about the salvation of the world. And if God could use them, if God could use a prostitute like Rahab, if he could use the sinful people of the past, he can use you as well. So no matter what you've done, no matter how sinful you might be, Christmas is good news because it gives us hope. Uh, It doesn't matter how bad you are. If you run to Christ, if you run to the saviour of the world, you can be forgiven too. That is why the message the angels gave to the shepherd was such good news. There are other reasons as well, and we'll look at those uh, in the coming weeks. But let's just leave it at that one for the moment. The coming of Christ is good news because it shows us that God keeps his promises and he is able to bring good even out of evil. And with those thoughts in mind, I've chosen uh, as our final hymn before we come uh, to the Lord's table, number 274. 274. 74. Uh, It's a hymn, a carol, really, uh, which is expressing just what we've been saying uh, in the message this morning. 274. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room and heaven and nature sing. And look, particularly at verse 3. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow, far as the curse is found. So let's Close by singing number 274.